You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 14. If you have a Bible, feel free and open. Uh, you need to turn one on on a device or just look up at the screen. Uh, Bryce is working on it. There it is. Perfect. Verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being expected by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a while, suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Children, you may be dismissed and we may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, I ask that you continue to pray as we uh, shift in worship. Worship is expressed in all of life. And I think Pastor Joe has made it clear that worship is not just music even though it is. Worship is also um, studying and receiving his word. Worship is, always, is also day to, day to day, through the week. Our work, our caring of our homes, uh, every interaction is an opportunity for us to, uh, to worship God. Uh, all of life is worship. And um, coming to the end of this, um, this series in in 1 Peter. We know that 1 Peter is about suffering, but there's a theme that runs through 1 Peter as well, and um, the theme is God is our king. He invites us into his royal family. Chapter 2 actually says that uh, we, as Christians, are now, one of our names is we are a royal priesthood. I'm going to talk about that a little more in a minute. And it also says that he has dominion over all things forever and ever. Amen. These things are repeated throughout the book. But as we come down to the end of these last few verses in our series, the title of our message this morning is this, The God of Grace and Glory. Here's a question. What do you do when you can't take it anymore? You ever hit the wall? You ever had enough? You ever been crushed to where you say, I don't think I can carry this? Um, Physical pain? Pain in your heart? Spiritual oppression? To where you go, God, this is is suffering. This is painful. I don't like this. And I can't can't, uh, use what the world offers of sign. Just just be strong. Just be happy. just, uh, Just be the best version of yourself. Well... 
praise God, if you're a Christian, there's two versions of us. There is the corrupt version, and we don't want, we want to kill that. But God has put his new version in us, and he shows us how to make that version be all it can be in a spiritual sense. But what do you do when you can't take it anymore? There are three main points. Um, the first point is this. We're going to talk about uh, that suffering is for a little while. We want to look at, uh, these are mostly in verses 10 and a little bit into verse 11. Um, second one is that the God is a God of all grace. And the last point is we are called to eternal glory in Christ. So before we get to these three points, let's just go through our passage and talk about it a little bit, kind of see what's going on in this passage. I know, you know, as I put together and work on and pray over something to say on Sundays, um, I'm getting more familiar with, the, with that passage. But when I'm not, and I come walking in here uh, and listen to Joe or listen to Patrick or listen to someone else like uh, Micah or uh, Joe Nelson or or whoever is speaking, my mind is just all over the place. And I'm like, I can barely hear the words. And what was that poem or that, uh, pa that paragraph we just heard with all of these uh, religious sounding words? Um, so let's just kind of, let's pray and, and think through and go through this passage one more time and then pull out uh, three thoughts out of verse, verse 10 and 11. Last Sunday, Joe ended the, the message with, uh, be, be humble. And humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Uh, Patrick was sharing in the sync meeting earlier that uh, there's a process to casting our cares on him. First thing is, is that I got to feel like I, I need to get rid of this thing. Wednesday, I confessed a, uh, a pattern in my life that's become sinful and it's just... Um, it's been something I've accommodated and kind of downplayed, and it's an addiction to technology. Uh, taking something that's okay and getting so stuck on it, it's not okay anymore. It's robbing my responsibilities in other areas of my life. And it's actually me casting my cares on my laptop because it can give me what I want. Casting my cares on my iPhone because it can give me what I want. It can numb me out. It can make me escape. It can make me forget my troubles for a little bit. Problem is, it doesn't help at all. It's sweet to the taste for a minute. They come back to bite you. It's biting me. I'm tired of it. I just felt compelled to t share with the guys, I'm, I'm tired of this. This is the truth. And uh, Patrick mentioned that when you cast something like with a, with a fishing rod, especially if you're, if you're getting bottom feeders like a, a catfish, you have to get something out that really, really smells and put it on a hook and say, I'm tired of carrying this around. I'm tired of saying this is not that bad. This doesn't smell that bad. It's really not that offensive. It's really not a problem. Finally, you say, I've had it. I'm going to put it on a hook and I'm going to throw it away, not knowing where's my, where's my, you know, like in the Lord of the Rings, where's my precious? My stinky precious, ah, oh, where's it going? You don't know if you're going to, like Will said, if you do it right, you'll catch a fish. You don't know that. I've got stinky bait, I, I, I'll live with that. But uh, what if you get rid of it? What can God do? 
and uh, cast it away. And the only way that uh, my experience right now with this thing is, uh, I gotta say, I'm done with this. It smells, I want it out of here, I'm throwing it away, and Lord, I've got to believe that throwing away the thing that I've depended upon for, for my escape and for, for helping me uh, buzz out temporarily, um, that you've got something better. And with the resounding command of Scripture, he says, I care for you. Cast away because. Why do you cast away? Because I. Who's the I? Jesus Christ is the I, the Messiah, the one that created the, the entire universe is the I. He does what? The one that keeps the galaxy spinning correctly and uh, controls the plankton down here for the whales to eat, that's the one that comes into my heart and says, I care for you. He cares for you. Joe said his, his shoulders are broad enough and his back is scarred enough to take your burdens. And the men prayed for me. I felt relief and I'm feeling release and I'm like, game on. The war has been declared. Cast your burdens upon him because he, I don't think we can spend our whole lifetime really understanding how much this big God really cares for us. I think at the root of, of, of our problems is we just don't think God really cares. If we knew how much this, this God, this man cares for us, we would never hold our stinky bait. So that's last week. This week is the God of grace and glory. So moving forward, he says, be sober-minded. Watch out. He says, be sober-minded. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Guys, gals, men, women, young people, we are in a war. We're in a battle. There is an enemy, and that enemy can take the shape. Use the word, he's a lion. Can you imagine if a lion was in your backyard? Would you let the kids go out and play? Uh, in 2011, there actually was a cougar in Kearney. Do you guys remember that? Does anybody? <laughs> there was actually a mountain lion prowling around the uh, uh, southwest neighborhood of Kearney, weighed, 800, uh, weighed 118 pounds, is uh, come up from the river, and uh, uh, mountain lions had started to kind of spread following the river down, and it had wandered. They said anytime, these are, these are animals that, that like to be isolated and away from people. If they're coming into town, something's wrong. There's a dangerous situation. And there's a picture in the Kearney Hub and Lincoln Star of uh, a picture of that big cat in the back of a pickup truck after they shot and killed it. They said, well, why didn't they tranquilize it and let it go? They said, there's no place to let it go in Nebraska. We don't have any public lands uh, big enough. And if, uh, if you tranquilize it in a neighborhood, I mean, it was jumping over backyard fences. People were fighting it going from yard to yard. And uh, if you tranquilize it, um, the, the death is slow and it irritates it and it might, it might go ahead and, and hurt somebody. So they put it down and it just shows these people looking over this, this pickup truck at this giant, Lion. That creeps me out. We should be creeped out about the situation that we're in. He says there is an adversary that wants to steal your joy. 
He wants to steal your testimony. He wants to steal your walk of faith. And it's like a lion creeping around that can just rip you to shreds. Watch out, Peter says. Be careful. Resist him firm in your faith. Don't try to do it in the strength of yourself. Resist him in the faith. That big God of ours, we can call him in. And like the authorities in Carney, he can take out our enemy. But we can't. We got little pea shooters and we can't even aim. You know? You know, even if we could aim, how many of us would, would shoot at the right target? They use the weapon for the wrong reason, even if I had the power. So, yeah. Resist him firm in your faith. Trust in the the faith. Have your trust in Jesus Christ, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not alone. You feel alone? Talking about being alone? You're not alone. You are part of a worldwide, multi-generational brotherhood. It's good to know, isn't it? One of the, one of the God on Tap times we talked about... Um, the suffering and the persecution that's going on in Iran. And hearing how people are standing so bold to say, even if I get attacked physically, I will not deny my faith. And uh, some were talking about, I've been there, and I've seen, I've seen what they do to women and to, and to people that deny the state religion. Those are our brothers. We pray for our brothers part of our brotherhood. Do you like brotherhood? Uh, I think about the mo motorcycle ministry that's, that's getting developed from, from our church. There's a brotherhood. There's a tr you're part of a, there's a tribe that you can be a part of. Well, guess what? Uh, every single Christian is part of a brotherhood, a special tribe, a special nation. Like I said, Jesus says, uh, you are the, you're a royal priesthood. First Peter talks out, uh, starts talking at the, in chapter 1 by saying, um, you were born again by the power of God's word. You're not the same person that you used to be. You're a new man, and you're part of a new tribe. You're part of a new gang. You're part of a new brotherhood. You're part of a new nation, and it is in opposition to the old tribe and the old nation that you used to be. Be ready for opposition. This is pretty random, but I want to say it anyway. Um, talking to my son about uh, his work down in New Mexico. How old's Ethan Karma? 27? So he was a police officer for several years, and he, he told me a story yesterday on the phone for Father's Day that uh, um, he hadn't told mom and dad before. Uh, one of those scary stories when he was a, when he was a police officer working graveyard. And... Uh, he said he and his superior were in a, in a car and a motorcycle went flying by at 115 miles an hour uh, in, in the city. And uh, they went on chase and they, they pulled the guy over and, and uh, Ethan went up and, and, and talked to him and got his, got his driver's license, went back to the car and they, there's two of them, and they checked out his um, credentials, who he was, uh, checking out his license plate number. It was the vice president of the Banditos uh, gang. And uh, to tell you how uh, corrupt my son is, um, his officer said, you take this driver's license back to that man and say, have a nice day. And he said, yes, sir. 
He says, the last thing we need to have right now is a gang war with a thousand mobile gangsters. And uh, it's like, wow, thanks, son. Thanks for, thanks for telling me about, <laughs> about the work that you're in and uh, the risk that you're at. Um, the Banditos. It's the name of a tribe. It's the name of a, of a gang. What's your gang name? What's your tribe name? What nation are you a part of? Wouldn't it be cool to have a, uh, a gang called the Royal Priesthood? That'd be, that'd be cool in leather, wouldn't it? The Royal Priesthood. It sounds kind of religious, but it sounds kind of cool, the Royal Priesthood. There's the gang, the Latin Kings. Um, what does it mean to be known as a Royal Priesthood? You are royalty. You're in a royal family. What does it mean to be a priest? It means you are all human, but you have connection with heaven. You're a royal person, but you can talk to God. You're a priest and you're royalty. That's, that's the new person that you are. Verse 10, we'll just go on through it. It says, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace has called you to be, called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we're studying the Bible, we'll go back to 10 and 11 and dig down here in a minute. But to finish up, don't ever skip over those last few goodbye verses at the end of at the end of the book. They're, they're full of good stuff. First of all, he says, uh, by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written brief, briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Um, most of the books in the Bible start with grace and peace to you, and they end with grace from God to you. Stand firm in this grace. Does grace mean we don't stand firm? Does grace mean there's nothing for us to do? Does grace mean God, God will do all, all of it? God says, by the power of my blessing and favor, let my power make you stand. Well, you stand where you work. You stand in your home. You stand in this church. By the power and the blessing, not of yourself, by the grace of God, stand firm. Stand firm in grace. And he says, she who is at Babylon, that means the church, in Rome, that's, that's the nickname for an any evil system. The Bible gives any evil system the word Babylon. And he said, she, the church, who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. You're not alone. There's other churches, there's in, in other cities, and you are chosen. You are not here by chance. The Holy Spirit has drawn you, the churches of Jesus Christ, little Local groups like us are the very bride of Jesus Christ. And we can hold each other up and we can pray for each other and we can know that we are chosen. We might be right in the middle. Do you ever feel like you're right in the middle of Babylon? I'm not talking about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm talking about what the Bible calls Babylon, the true evil system. You ever feel like uh, today as you go from here to there, it's just like, Things are out of control. This is like Babylon. This is, there's, there's evil here. There's evil there. Right in the middle of it is she, God's girl, 
right in the middle of the darkness. There she is. There you are. This is not just a philosophy. This is a real letter that a real guy wrote from one town to another. This is not just a recipe for life. You have a brotherhood. You have a family. You have a part of Jesus Christ's bride to be a part of so that you can make it through your dark Babylon. Who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Well, Joe Nelson, you know what that means. Earlier in the Bible, Paul and John Mark got into a fight. Paul says, this guy is so untrustworthy, he's such a flake, I don't want to minister with him again. We got into a hard issue of ministry, and he bailed. I don't want anything to do with John Mark anymore. Years later, uh, here, is, here is John Mark. He's back in the ministry, and here's Peter talking, talking about, uh, he, he, he didn't get kicked out of ministry. He joined up, and, and uh, I'm sure he and Paul had a good talk, but this is, this is Peter. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Um, so I'm thinking, kiss of love. Any volunteers? So he's writing from Rome. Rome what? Rome, Italy. They're Italian. <laughs> so it's a, it's a brotherly love on the, on the cheek, a brotherly kiss on the cheek. What does that mean? This, this thing is not just, like, like Patrick was saying, this is not just a, a group of isolated people in a bubble, individuals. Um, we hug on each other. We love on each other. We help each other when there's a need. We, we share our challenges with each other. We're willing to be vulnerable with each other, willing to be tender with each other. We're willing to love. And then he ends it the way he began, using the word peace to all who are in Christ. And the word peace right here is talking about not just a lack of noise or a lack of um, chaos. It means the battle has been won. Peace accords have been signed. The battle's over. The only way that we can fight our battle is that we know, in the ultimate sense, the battle's already won. There's already been someone that's won for us. And that's, that's the passage that we're looking at. So if we back up into verse 1, verse 10, our first point is this. Suffering a little while. Suffering a little while. The Bible is honest about life. You get tired of people saying, well, it's not that bad. How do you know? How do you know how bad it is? How do you know how I feel? Suffering's real. Suffering's hurt. The very definition of suffering is something that I'm to a point where I don't think I can take it anymore. I'm not just hurting. I am suffering. This is taking me to my absolute end. I don't think I can make it. Suffering. The Bible's honest. There will be, there is suffering. Christians, buckle up. Suffering comes into our lives just like everyone else. The question is, how do we handle it when we can't make it anymore? We can't take it anymore. What do we do? The first thing we can hear from the Bible is, it's only for a little while. Can you imagine if when you get to the end of your life or if you have an accident, um, there's nothing next. There's nothing beyond that. This is all you have. The Bible says this is not all you have. The thing that you're experiencing in this life is only for a little while. What does a uh, little while mean? It could be 80 years. 
But in light of eternity, it's only for a little while. If, if we try to put a, a year to eternity and start saying billions and billions and billions, we're shrinking down eternity. I don't, it makes my mind blow. But your paradise will last forever and ever and ever and ever. And you may be able to look back and go, I had a chance for 80 years. I had a chance for 90 years to enter into the battle and the pain of war with the Lord that won the battle for me. Suffering is an opportunity. But we can't get all intellectual. We can't get all tough and brag about it and say, I can take it. That's not suffering. That's just, that's just a hurt. When you're suffering, the, the strongest man goes, I don't think I'm going to make it on this one. The strongest woman is going to say, I don't, I don't think I can take it anymore. That's true suffering. Where do we go? The first thing we need to know is this. This life is not all that there is. What else does the Bible tell us about suffering? The Bible tells us that I already said it. The Bible is honest about life. Life is hard. You know that, that phrase in uh, Princess Bride? Um, it, it, does that date me? I mean, we geeked out on, on Princess Bride when, right, right out of high school. And that may have been old then. I don't know. But uh, have you, are you one of those groups that could, like, uh, hang out with your guys? You could almost quote the entire movie. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, one of them is, uh, life is pain, your highness. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they are selling you something. The Bible's not selling you anything. The Bible's being honest with you. You want to be part of this brotherhood? Get ready. There will still be pain. But the difference is, it doesn't last forever. Life is like a vapor, but the world to come is forever. Our second point is this. Verse 10 talks about the God of all grace. The God of all grace. Anytime that you see the word God in the Bible, you have the permission to go anywhere in the Bible and say, who is this guy? Is, is that the same guy that said in the beginning he created everything? Yeah, that's the one. Is, is that the one that said before the beginning I existed in the Trinity for all of eternity? Yeah, that's the one. Is, is that the one that can, like you were saying earlier, he can oversee every galaxy, he can manipulate every little plankton, he can... He can Where's God when tragedy strikes your life? Is he distant? Is he out of control? The reality is God oversees that too. And the Bible's honest about that. But what's up? What's up with that? What's up when a parent has to bury their own child? What's up when a 44-year-old a mother dies leaving three teenagers for her husband to raise? What's up when something that you believe is, is good and biblical and something you've aspired to and it just doesn't happen? Where's God? Does he care? Cast all your cares on him because he cares? Does he care? Anyone ever tempted to say in the middle of, of pain that gets into the level of suffering, 
He may care, but I don't know if I like the way he cares. He may care, but I don't really like the lesson he's trying to teach me. Don't stop. Dig deep. Because he has a lesson to teach us. He's God. He has all power. He has all dominion. He's a king. He's on his throne. And nothing is out of control. So what do we do when we can't take it anymore? He's the God of all grace. Does God have to be nice? It's his choice, right? If you have all power, you can do whatever you want, right? God could be like one of those uh, Roman little mythology gods like Thor that uh, act like a, a spoiled brat guy that has a temper tantrum and throws lightning bolts down just out of his rage. God has wrath. Can you imagine seeing what God sees? Do things make you mad? child's innocence lost. That's something to get mad about. Human trafficking, where a woman is, is, is enslaved. Say Grand Island's one of the local hubs for human trafficking. God sees every single pretty lady that's enslaved and used and abused. That should make a person angry, shouldn't it? Racial injustice, things in society that are, are just wrong. God has a right to be angry. But that's not all he is. He's also a God of grace. Grace means favor. Grace means blessing. Grace means he pours his favor and his love on you for no reason other than the fact that he is God and he did what it took to make that happen. He is God, but he is the God of how much grace? Is this just enough grace to get around and spread thin? The God of all favor, the God of all blessings, the God of all good in our pain and in our suffering. The message of the Bible and the message of 1 Peter is you may be at the end of your rope, but there is one in charge and he has plenty. And he just can overwhelm you with something else that's going on. There's something else going on. He's the God of all grace. He's a good God. And here, as we start getting to the answer to this question, number three is this. We've talked about one, our sufferings for a little while. Number two, the God is a God of all grace. And number three, he has called us to eternal glory in Christ. You ever ask, God, why am I even alive? What's the point of my life? You ever been down so low where you're just thinking, why am I even here? What's the point? The point is this. The God of all grace has called you. The God of all grace thinks about you. The God of all grace wants you. And the God of all grace comes and says, come on. I've got purpose. I've got meaning. I've got something that you can take with your life and join in. Forget your plans. I've got this amazing kingdom. I'm the king. I have dominion. You're a royal priesthood. Come on, get in the show. There's something bigger going on. Even when tragedy strikes your life. 
You're called. You're not random. Your choices don't just happen. Somehow God mysteriously works through our will to draw us into something of importance that you really can't explain. Your importance. He loves you. He calls you into something huge. Called into what? Eternal glory. Suffering is temporary, but glory is forever. The plan and purposes of God go beyond our temporary suffering. Never do I want to think that suffering is just something you can put in, your bo- in this box but, and downplay the pain of suffering. But it's still temporary. And glory is eternal. And you can enter into his eternal glory right now as a royal priest, as part of this brotherhood. He's calling you to be part of a brotherhood, a worldwide brotherhood. To experience glory. What does glory mean? Glory is ultimate. Glory is awesome. Glory means worth. You feel like things just aren't worth it? What's the point? What I'm doing is just a waste of time? God says, I'm not just calling you into... I mean, what do you think is glorious? Shiny chrome? Pretty glorious. A raise at work? That's pretty glorious. Beautiful new bride? That's really glorious. Grandchildren? It's glorious. What is glorious to you? What is ultimate? What is awesome? Well, God says, I've got something eternally glorious. Stuff that will go eternally in big and eternally in long. Glory that we can't get our heads wrapped around. He says, I'm calling you into something bigger than our pain and our suffering. Called into eternal glory. What kind of eternal glory? Eternal glory in Christ. My dad, my dad's old country preacher. Howard's dad, 78. He can still almost outwork me. He still has more energy than me. Uh, he and mom are, uh, took their old dumpy camper and, and drove down to Juarez, Mexico and got their teeth worked on. He's insane. He's crazy. There's nobody I know that's more tenacious and more in love with Jesus Christ. They were missionaries in Juarez, Mexico for about 11 years. And, and he's happiest when he's down, down there where it's hot and dry. And uh, I grew up listening to him preach. And when he would get to the big point that he was so excited, uh, all of us boys, there's four of us grew up together, we'd always mock and imitate dad. But he would say, there it is, there it is. If you don't know my dad, who cares? I mean, that's a really good invitation. But uh, <laughs> it says, um, um, called to eternal glory in Christ. What kind, of, uh, what kind of eternal glory? The kind of eternal glory that's in Christ. There it is. There it is. We might like shiny things here on earth. We might like beautiful things here on earth. But there's an eternal glory that's very special. It's the kind of glory that is in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Who is Christ? Christ, the very word, means the anointed one. 
the anointed one. That means he's the one that's been through the special ceremony. You've been through a high school graduation. You've been through any kind of a special ceremony where you get up and you have the picture and take your hand and you get your certificate. Well, back in the Bible times, when a royal person would be set on the throne, they would pour this fragrant oil all over them. It was for a, a royal induction. It was also for a priestly induction. And Christus, same word, root word as Crisco, oil. Christus, Christ, the anointed. Two, three, one among many. The anointed one. The only one that has the power to put it all back together. You're in him. By faith, you are in the Christ, Jesus Christ. What, is it, what else do we know about Jesus Christ? He's not just anointed with oil. He's covered with blood. He was all man. And he's all God. And because of, where is, where is, where is, where is God in your pain? Where is God when you hurt? Where is God when you think you can't make it anymore? He's in the pain with you. He understands human pain. They nailed him to wood. They stripped off his clothes. They ripped his body until it bled and gushed. Can you hear the sound as you hurt? Can you hear the sound of the hammer driving a stake through human feet? Bang, bang, bang. Can you hear the sound of the whip as it cracked and ripped his flesh into shreds? Can you hear his voice as he cries out to God, Why? Why have you forsaken me? You feel alone? You feel forsaken? You feel like we're, we're in a bubble? We're not. Jesus was forsaken so you would never be forgotten. Can you hear the sound? Where is the Christ in your pain? He's in it. He weeps with you. That's the answer. That's it. That's it. It's eternally glorious. As he stood right there, a God, a God died. We get so used to this story, don't we? A God died. Sometimes I like to think about a, a, a lightning rod that takes lightning into itself and diverts it somewhere else. Jesus Christ is your lightning rod. Amazingly, he's the lightning rod for the world. And this God-man stood there, and if you can just imagine millions of lightning bolts coming down upon his head as he just took it, took it, took it, took it, took it, and he took it, and he says, Joe, I love you. Morgan, I love you. Chris, I love you. I'm here because I love you. What do we do when we hurt to a point where we think we can't make it anymore? He says, all human suffering has a purpose. I took eternal pain for you. And you can have fellowship with me when you endure temporary pain. Temporary pain. When we suffer well, we get to experience fellowship, uh, special fellowship with the king. Without Christ, suffering is random. 
Some people that live a healthy life all, all their days die of cancer. Some people that abuse their bodies live in health. There's a randomness to pain. God gives reason to random. There's a famous... I found out it was famous. I didn't know about it until a few years ago. But there's a famous sermon preached by Dr. S.M. Lockridge. Maybe you've heard about this uh, sermon. Part of that sermon is in our call to confession. Dr. S.M. Lockridge was, uh, I think, a second generation out of slavery, was raised in Texas as a sharecropper. And uh, he had an amazing intellect and uh, went, was able to get into some, some colleges back in the 30s and 40s and uh, was able to become a doctor of theology and, and pastored one of the biggest churches in, in Los Angeles for decades. And uh, Dr. S.M. Lockridge had a, a sermon that he preached over and over and over, and he was talking about his king. Royal people here at the well, do you want to hear about your king? I've written down and summarized how he finished his sermon. Now, I'm not going to try to imitate him, because I can't. He had an amazing command and amazing voice and the power of the Spirit on him. But you can go onto YouTube and uh, search for S.M. Lockridge, my king. And my contention is this, the more you see your king high and lifted up, the more you understand what happened when that king died for you. When that man and that God died, it makes me say, okay, if he wants me to join him in the human condition and be able to give a testimony of joy in the midst of suffering, this gives me, this gives me my fighting chance. This is what Dr. S.M. Lockridge said. It goes on here for several minutes. He says, my king was born king. My king's king of the Jews. My king's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. And then the preacher says, I wonder if you know him. My king's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. My king's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's preeminent. He's the loftiest, loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. And he's the miracle of the age. And you hear the man with all of his education spitting out these amazing words. He says he supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. And the preacher says, I wonder if you know him. Well, my king is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of your head exploding. 
My mouth is tired. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers, and he's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. That's my king. And in the sermon, you hear, yeah, yeah. That's my king. My king is the my king's office is manifold, his promise is sure, his light is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteousness, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Then the preacher says, well, I wish I could describe him to you. <laughs> he doesn't stop, he says, well, He's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invisible, invincible, he's irresistible. The heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't live without him, you can't live with him, and you can't live without him. He says the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him, death couldn't handle him, and a grave couldn't hold him. There's nobody before him, there's nobody after him. You can't impeach him. And he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. Thine, thine, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And then the preacher ends his message with forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. That who's calling you to join him. In eternal glory, sharing that truth with a dark and dying world. God bless you. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.